because startups, you go through so much ups and downs, so much changes, so much different things. So by being there and able to overcome these ones and you show, show that con- confident with them, then they you know, fund you and let you go and in, 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 innovate. Hey, Ruben. Um, <clears throat> first time testing out our intro-outro uh, system uh, over here with you. Uh, but welcome to the show, man. Um, I'm really happy to have you here. I've been really looking forward to having you on the show. And I was saying before this, usually I build a relationship with people on the show and it expands into a relationship out, off the air. But with you, it's the opposite way around. So, um, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ravi. And, uh, you know, first of all, I appreciate the opportunities and we've been connected for more than a year now with various, uh, you know, from, uh, what's that? Uh, club, Clubhouse, uh, yeah. Clubhouse, and uh, that's where we started, I think. And then uh, since then, we have done many, many different events together. And we've been talking about, uh, you know, doing my own podcast and, uh, you know, those kind of things. So, it's I'm I'm very you know uh, glad to be here and um, giving some of the my stories. Yeah, my life. and and that's what I want to dive into is your stories because you know speaking of Clubhouse, that's you know and us meeting, I just want to give us uh, give the audience your perspective. So we started doing Clubhouse uh, just as as peaking last year in February, um, and the experiment was to run. We ran about seventy six consecutive clubhouses, right? Like back to back, back to back, about three mm-hmm. months, uh, in you know, in Monday to Friday. I think no, I think Monday to Saturday in a row. And yeah. you were one of the few that was there almost every single day. So we kept a tracker, uh, you know, with who yeah. who came and spoke. And you were there every day. And one of the things I loved about this is that over this period of time, we got to know more and more about you. All these like tiny stories came out until we understood. Uh, you at a different uh, level in context. And it's one of the things I really enjoyed about our clubhouse dates. But today I kind of want to unpack some of the, these stories into, into larger um, into larger segments, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, uh, it is important mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, as well as a human being, there are a lot of stories behind us. And I'm, I'm trying to say I'm a historian in the sense I try to look at everything what we do have some meaning mm-hmm. and everything you do you learn something or you teach something or you go and achieve something you know those kind of aspect so i started writing and we'll go into more detail a little later even before the clubhouse time and then i started finding contents coming from so many different places and uh, you know uh, as you go through your life experiences and life where you meet people, and that become a story, and uh, then you know it, 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 it expand into, and the main thing is the, the people the reception reception of those message that what really uh, gave me motivation to write more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly what I want to dive into today, is especially this. Um, you know, you you have you know accomplished so much in so many deep fields. And coming from a, 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 a very strenuous background, which I want to I want to get into, you know, taking the time to produce content, like you know, starting writing, uh, you starting your I think your weekly blog, 
uh, you've been doing it for almost two years now, right? Every week you've been publishing yeah, the book. More than two, yeah. Actually, it's yeah, about two years now. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and one of the things I appreciated you opening up about is that you were taking this as a challenge to force yourself to compile your stories down, um, so you can you can tell the stories better. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about that process, right? Unpacking things, um, especially someone who, uh, you know, has a, has a, has a uh, senior career in both innovation and in the different fields you come from. What does that look like in terms of unpacking, you know, all these years, all these different uh, components? What goes into like a good storytelling, uh, whether it be a blog format or clubhouse or even here? Yeah, it is interesting because I, I never thought myself to be a storyteller. Because I get fascinated by the people who can talk very fluently, connect different dots, and go through that. I am, you know, a trained by a trained being an engineer. So for me, it's more science and uh, you know following through that. Then suddenly it hit me some time after that. The science has you know theories and you know logic behind it, and then you have supporting arguments. And going through that, you know, going and presenting that to audience and convincing them uh, of your, you know, how you got there, as well as teaching some of those lessons, you know, from a science scientific point of view. I applied this, you know, then as you said, I was part of two successful startups. I was able to go and, you know, help the team execute uh, and build product, very complex product in a way which with this, you know, one-tenth of a team of a big corporation to be able to do that. I was thinking all of that and then, oh, so the writing part, even though people make a lot of, uh, uh, you know, you had to do uh, learn a lot offline and all that, I didn't want to do that way because I didn't want to go and get another degree in uh, writing and in English literature. What I rather did was I went and uh, used my science background and use that logic, you know. So if you look at my writings, it will start with some foundational, you know, introduction. Then I have a three to five points with supporting argument and close it out. So that way it doesn't get boring. It doesn't get too long. So this is a process which I followed my, you know, educational part as well as my career and apply that one into this as another challenge because as you know you'll go into the startup world coming from you know sri lanka and starting in silicon valley i, I never thought i'll be able to build a billion dollar company and i still don't know you know how complex it would have been but for me it was naturally coming you know pulling these things together so that's how i started then that worked out. So I applied that one to my, uh, you know, weekly writings, my podcast, my, you know, YouTube videos, as well as I do mentor a lot of people. So I always ap- apply the same principle, the simple, you know, there are, you know, the format and then collect that. And, um, and if I go beyond into that, actually, one of the area there is how do I come up with these topics and all that? It is basically, you know, um, there are two forms of it. One of them is funny. One of them is other one is I, I, whenever I sit down, I talk to people. When I hear from different people or read some article, it hits, oh, people are talking about this content. I had this experience and I was able to achieve this one. 
So I take a, you know, my iPhone and I have the notepad open most of the time. So immediately I put the topic there saying, hey, this is what uh, the question is. And then I put like, you know, a couple of those, you know, point which came to my mind at that point. Then I refine over the next few days as when you know, driving, when I'm uh, doing other things. And the funny part of it is when I'm taking shower, I think about these uh, items. And when I come out of it, I just run to my phone and I type it, finish it. So I just trying to find three or four points. And then once I find the point, I started finding the examples, how I came through that process. And so adding that uh, content back to it, uh, then it, it completes the thought process. Then once you have the thought process, it takes an hour to write the article. I mean, it doesn't take more than that. Uh, I really like how you broke that down into like a system because I think that's that's everything, um, especially with good content. Um, it, it's it's a it's weird to think about, but content is actually not a consumed by people; it's consumed by machines because mm-hmm. the algorithms go and and figure out who to you know target this towards, who to ping. Who do, who, whose feed to put it, uh, put it on towards. So by building a system, um, you're kind of systemizing your production speed. You're also systemizing it inadvertently for these algorithms as well. Because uh, great content, it's uh, it's also about frequency. So being yeah. being able to produce content at frequency at a relative speed uh, helps you build an audience and helps you build a, a community around that. And I feel like this is what you're doing because, um, you know, I, I feel a book that is going to be coming on called The Accidental Entrepreneur. I already have the topic as well as I have uh, about 40 to 50, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, content, which is not written on any one of these Mm -hmm. articles because it it can do. And uh, yeah, so that content will, this book, which I'm talking about in Tamil is called Nuradi. uh, It's a hundred feet from, and I have gone through so much of things. I was as an observer, as well as an experiencer, and looking at it, what I have seen, where you know, from the Silicon Valley, where I was in the have the front seat for these startups, as well as when my father passed away, I was right there, hundred feet away, as as well as uh, when uh, you know, in Sri Lanka, when I went through the war, I was you know, shot multiple times. I was hundred feet away from, you know, shot down, and uh, hundred feet from escaping the you know detention camp all of those uh, so i have setting up the because i have given the interest as you said with the, my marketing my knowledge my startup that is the later part of the life but all of these came from the foundation of what i got earlier in the life and so that is the one people have been encouraging me to write out all that so i have identified about 40 different topics in that uh, subtitle. So I'm um, after some some time, you know, I, I want to start uh, going and publishing that book. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, and one of the things about the, the theme, the theme of accidental entrepreneur, I think, is uh, really interesting. Um, you know, coming from the idea that you stumbled upon uh, a, a an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, and uh, I think the story is really uh, ambiguous. Because not a lot of people are put in this kind of situation where you are able to leverage a high value uh, opportunity. Um, I'll, I'll let you break it down, but I do want to start with yeah. like how I got introduced to it. You know, I mean, you came to into our clubhouse. Uh, we were talking about sales, about 
business, about marketing, we had all these topics about entrepreneurship, but also lifestyles and, and things like that. And one of the topics of the day, we were talking about sales. And I remember everyone in the room is mostly entrepreneurs coming and saying like, yeah, this is my biggest sale. This is how I got it. You know, in a way of like breaking down with it, you know, uh, how they achieved it. And I believe you came in the room and you said something like, I got one of my sales or one of my first sales was like $50 million or like $500 million. And it was a hard, like a large one, one sale, one uh, specific part, uh, uh, buyer. And I, we got it. And it's like a mic drop moment where the entire, like everyone is quiet because you'd never hear of such a size when it comes to an opportunity like that. And if, for a salesperson, I, I think I remember saying this was that, that like something like that, like a salesperson's dream to be able to accomplish something, uh, such a grand scale project. Right. Uh, but I want to break this down. I'm coming back to you, like accidental entrepreneur. Uh, could you repeat us that, that moment? Like what, or a series of moments, what made you an accidental entrepreneur? Yeah, so that, that is important uh, part of it. You know, I I wrote, started writing about it. The accidental entrepreneur, first the name came about to me mm. was I never set out to go and build companies in U.S. Uh, I came here to study. I got to get my green card. I got a good corporate uh, job and I'm as happy, I'm getting promoted, I was making good money, I could have lived there. And suddenly, uh, you know, one of, I get an offer to go work for a company called Broadcom, mm-hmm. which was a startup then. And, uh, you know, they gave me 15,000 shares. I, uh, and my company, which I was working for Rockwell, they give me $15,000. And I say, hey, uh, you know, $15,000 in the bank now, this 15,000 shares would maybe disappear because a startup success rate is very low. So I was uh, talking about that, uh, thinking about that. And then I went to my manager and said, and he gave me this uh, $15,000. So I took that job. I rejected my startup uh, career, uh, startup job then. And they went public, the Broadcom went public. And they, you know, I would have made maybe three to $5 million out of that uh, 15,000 share because it was a very early stage and they had multiple uh, you know, splits before going public. So that is when we realized, you know, there is th- something called startup, you know, uh, and you can make some, a lot of money. And uh, on uh, so that is where I met with a couple of my, you know, founding team members of the first startup. And we ran into, and uh, we said, why, if these guys can do it, why can't we? And we came up with an idea for voiceover internet protocol and we went about starting the company. So that is where I got into you know, entrepreneurship in an official form. So I, you know, if you look at it, kind of accidental. But that word accidental entrepreneur was very intentionally, I chose that one. When I write this article about my childhood, my how I brought it up, I moved to Africa after Sri Lanka, came to the US and did all that. Some of my, uh, you know, readers started telling you, you are not an accidental entrepreneur. You were destined to be an entrepreneur. Mm. I said, bingo. I mean, you got the point. I mean, it is, it is a con- you know, contradiction there. I was trained over my lifetime, uh, you know, losing my father at 12 and going through the war in Sri Lanka, leaving the country. And during that time, I got experience with, you know, sports leadership, 
community leadership. So the, you learn a lot of these management and those part of it, which set the stage for me to be an, an entrepreneur in the future. Mm. Okay. So that is where the, the these two words come together. Yeah. One of them is accidentally I dropped into it. And the other side, it wasn't actually an accident. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I love the play on words because it's not something that you normally hear because everyone pursues entrepreneurship, right? Everyone wants to pursue innovation. I want to be seen as the most innovative person in this, in this climate where that's, um, that's kind of the culture. So like the idea that you were put in a position to be like, uh, it, it accidentally fell upon you. I think it's what really stands out. But, you know, talking a little bit about that, you know, about the journey of like a immigrant to become an entrepreneur. You know, we hear that so much, like so many of the greatest entrepreneurs were immigrants. Why do you think that is? What is it about a unique to the immigrant journey that makes us prime for entrepreneurship? I mean, there are, there are a couple of things you can look at it. And one main one, major one is uh, we don't have, I mean, you know, for example, when you come to U.S. for me and start all these work and, you know, paying, you know, like getting the foundational part of it once you pass that you don't have network you don't have something to you know corporate america still there is a ladder so you had to move up and you had to work hard and if you're lucky if you're lucky you will get to do a, a situation where you will become a vp or ceo of a big company because mm-hmm. your background network because that one normally helps in addition to your talent and which as an uh, immigrant and entrepreneurs, uh, immigrant uh, people, for us, we want to have that, you know, the hack or the shortcut to get there. How do we do that faster? Only way in Silicon Valley, and people talk about all of these, but again, there are American founders and they have done quite well also. But majority of those founders are, you know, from you know, Asia, you know, Southeast Asia or China or the different areas of the world because the opportunity to connect is not there. So by going and taking this big risk and working with, you know, convincing these venture capitalists or customers to take, you know, take, uh, believe in you and, uh, you know, and uh, it, it makes it, it makes it, you know, uh, very, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, a very driven part of it, you can do that. The, the one other part of it is important when you are doing all of these ones, if these are, you know, big goals you are setting up to do that, you know. Uh, so you need to be very, at, you know, good, talented from the technology side. Otherwise, otherwise, you had to be able to convince these people to be able to put the money into that. So these entrepreneurs who come from outside the country, they have lived this multiple times over. Even coming, making to U.S. is a challenge. Making, you know, even in, in their countries, they are top students. Getting there, it is tough. So they have done this multiple times over. So this, when you come here, and when you are in, put in front of some of these VCs and all that, your creativity gets out. And then you started saying, because the startups, you go through so much ups and downs, so much changes, so much different things. So by being there, 
and able to overcome these ones and you show, show that con- confident with them, then they you know fund you and let you go and in, 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 innovate. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of bring in the context of living in Silicon Valley in, in California, uh, one of the most innovation-rich uh, economies in the world. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I, I live outside of Toronto and, you know, there's a lot of innovation happening, uh, but it's always compared to the Valley. You know, we were always told here, if you, you know, if you have a great project, take it to the Valley. You want like a, like a, like a California investor, uh, Toronto's investors are too conservative. Like we, we want the mm-hmm. risk takers that attitude there because you're uniquely not just uh, someone who, you know, grew up professionally working, uh, working in the California environment. You're also an investor, uh, an angel investor with uh, Sandhill Angels, quintessentially one of the one of the most core investment gr- angel groups um, in, in the valley. So I, I would love to hear about your experience. You know, um, growing up with that scene. What has it been like for like a South Asian immigrant growing up there? Yeah, I mean that, that is another area of importance because I think uh, in Silicon Valley, uh, if you go to a Starbucks, if you go to any coffee shop, if you go to a and there are a lot of brunch or breakfast places here where people are just sitting and uh, drawing out things in the napkins and talking about it. You run into, I mean, every place you go, you will run into innovators or venture capitalists or somebody. So the, the, the one other area is, you know, one important thing is Stanford and UC Berkeley being close to here. You have access to a lot of professors and education system. But the second part of it is, having everybody the venture capitalists angel investors startup people and the, you know i mean if you look at it all time the silicon valley and, and genentech uh, intel all of them were startups you know 70s and 80s uh, came out of silicon valley so there were that dna of you know connecting people in a small area, actually, Silicon Valley is not a huge, you know, area. People, the economy of the Silicon Valley is so huge, but the concentration of these, you know, talent and the pool is so, you know, small area. So by doing that, you are able to move and, you know, move around with different, different people, talk to different people. I mean, you can have four meetings a day versus other places we go. In, you have one meeting in four days kind of thing because you can move around from one venture capitalist to another person or go to a corporate uh, in a headquarters or you, you meet with engineers in a different area. So you have that concentration of, you know, uh, energy where everybody is together. So you run into people and you can uh, talk about it. I, I have some problem or you call this guy. And again, you don't just have to, you know, before COVID time, you can just drive and meet somebody for you know 15 minutes and get that. So those are the you know the, the concentration of knowledge, money, and you know opportunity which made the city Silicon Valley bigger. It's not that I mean, but as you earlier said, most of these you know um, innovators are coming from foreign countries, even Canada, even you know all of these different places. But why are they able to do here is the opportunity of everything, you know, the proximity to everything is so close. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> how did that, how did that shape things? Because generally, especially coming from a South Asian uh, background, so being Tamil, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of like socialized not to take risk. Uh, and, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it is very interesting uh, part of it. Mm. I mean, 
again there are we have done taken risk in sri lanka where that arid land and you know where be able to farm and get out of it and do some of these uh, small scale risk but once but majority of the people get to government job and they settle there they retire with uh, you know and when they hit 55 years old and they are happy with that and they are they think beyond you know job and materialistic thing they are very religious or they are community based and all of those one so coming here it was very interesting and uh, you know different because you have a good job you have you know it can take you to lead and take you to different places and suddenly you are deciding to jump off the wagon uh, what it was running and trying to do this uh, startup so it wasn't you know uh, it is different and i remember at the beginning there were people used to say what's you know is he crazy you know when can i visit you know is it is it crazy uh, to do this because he done good at stanford and he should be able to get very good uh, paying job so going through this process was not uh, you know accepted then but you know lately i see a few more people in silicon valley from our community but i see a lot more in canada and sri lanka they are trying to do you know startups and uh, you know getting to that one but but again i i just want to make sure people don't misunderstand this as a you know going to startup and doing is the greatest thing mm. for that you need to be make sure i mean i worked for first 5 years at brockwell and before that i had a good education from stanford and university of minnesota and i you know lifelong balance of experience coming from uh entrepreneurial life so you need to make sure you are able to manage these things over time not just because i want to be an entrepreneur i want to make money i want to be famous uh, i would be careful for those people because unless you get that experience and you can articulate what is your vision is and go build a team to you know produce a product so those are so important part so if you don't have that experience on that gain some experience you know and then go and start doing that yeah I, i love that you brought that up because it seemed like it seemed like part of like what's cool right now the counterculture is to go and you know escape the 9 to 5 escape the corporate life and go and build something that can change the world and everyone kind of gears towards that and i love to tie that into your, your the work you do back home in sri lanka and with the innovators and entrepreneurs there and is there a culture shift you see between innovators here and entrepreneurs back home uh are, are, is there a difference in uh, origin is there more like like what kind of culture differences do you see so there are there are two part of it yeah because first of all do they have the talent and capability to do these kind of mm. great things uh i have seen it the reason is i am one of them because i went to high school i went left sri lanka after the 12th grade to come through africa to here so in my opinion uh they the talent is available and i as i talk to them they have the talent and they have the thinking process of the latest technology say ai machine learning agriculture or various aspect of it but where they miss uh, uh sometime is uh you know they try to go into some of these without understanding the market dynamic earlier you talked about sales uh you know marketing and product management 
and uh, you know in people management even you know because you had to be able to build a team which is in which you know you can motivate and all that so there are a lot lot of these ones people completely miss there but they focus on the technology and the product part of it so i have been lately working with a lot of entrepreneurs i take a lot of calls and i do mentoring one on one and that's one of the reason i started writing some of the articles also is uh to get get them think holistically it is a not a product it's not a feature it is a company it is a business it has to be eventually profitable and you need to be able to manage able to hire people and uh, you know maintain those uh, you know motivation so that is where i work with a lot of these uh, people thinking about you know so if you look at my articles you know january i wrote about hiring the right people uh, this month i'm writing about the financial hacks of various things how to manage the financial side the next month is going to be talk about product so this is the same thing i you know i try to train them and whenever they come and say oh yeah i can do this it, you know they can do it in 3 weeks the product takes 3 months because of the bells and whistles around it and what it is so i try to ask so my way of mentoring also on that is asking questions so if you are going to go to market with that what are the certification what are the qual you know uh, uh, qualification you need what kind of characterization you need to do have you thought about that most of the people have not they are thinking about i have this cool feature cool product and cool market that's a good thing but have you thought about all the gaps in between you know mm. have you have you met any like amazing standout entrepreneur or like really smart individual who just lived in, in especially back back home in an environment where they don't have access to resources right and the the question behind this is right like sometimes you can be the smartest brightest person but if you don't have the resources equipped to it you can't do anything uh you know and other times there are people who have um you know who are not as talented but have access to limited resources but because the resources they have is more than everyone else in their environment they're able to shine so much brighter right and they, and they stand out so oftentimes the question is in like an area like uh, shranka are the people you know being able to get into entrepreneurship are they just coming from environments where they are just able to do leaps or able to take risks or able to uh, build companies uh, versus um, you know are they coming from under resourced areas that are able to scrap together the resources and want, launch them like what does that look like yeah so i think the one area which i tend to see from them who as you as you define they are capable people they can do those thing they lived most of the time in sri lanka within that community so it's a 20 million population it has you know it has limited uh, capital limited expenses and people save a lot of money and uh, you know they don't uh, go and spend on this extra money or they don't take extra risk so then if you look at these people have a great idea great uh, knowledge and the market size is so small so that is where the most biggest challenge i have seen not their idea being small or their capability being small so what i have been telling them is find the market beyond sri lanka you know just go and find out like for some of them a few of them like sense made and sense agro and few others i've been trying to teach them to come to us market 
the same way when i have people uh, i talked to few other people other day and i told them about a have you tried africa you know have you tried you know different segment of the population uh, where you can you need to have a bigger larger you know market size mm. because you are not going to get all the you know people everything you know at, from one place so i haven't found these ideas are bad or the, these these people can't do that but their marketing and and the other part of it is staying within the tamil community mm. you know so i tried them to tell also is go outside trying to build relationship i've seen few companies who are doing extremely well they are able to reach out through various channels you know through there are internet um, you know there are places where you can get jobs or you can get uh, experiences as well as some uh, subcontract uh, job to get your name out you can do that but go beyond our community mm. go beyond sri lanka so that is my biggest you know battle cry for these people to get out and find the market which you, you know then build on top of that because if you look at it even if you get Hundred thousand dollar revenue that is you know in Sri Lankan rupees like a two crore you know that's like a lot of money there, and how do you move that uh, team and how do you balance that? So those are important part of it to make sure whatever ideas you come up with you have a large enough market to go after. Yeah, I think those are like uh, like uh, biggest advice that's meant for like anyone who wants to get into entrepreneurship. But I like how you know that's what you would remind people, especially uh, coming from back home. Um, I want I want to tie this into also your experience as an investor and how you know you how your experiences uh, from the accidental entrepreneurship um, to you know working in uh, you know uh, back home communities. how does that tie into your investment thesis um and how does that work with the santal angels yeah i mean again uh, the angel investment or the startup investment is not for faint of heart mm. because it is very high risk and one in 10 companies succeed even then one in maybe 100 companies become unicorn or something like that mm. so you have to look at it so one my main goal of angel investment or you know going through that process is being in the middle of it i had done these two companies and i went through uh, all that process and i'm not you know uh, i don't want to do one more at this point okay i, I decided so i being angel investor and able to give some money and when you put some skin in your skin in the game mm. you will start noticing where they are going what they are doing how market is doing and all that yeah. so i try to go uh, follow that so from a thesis point of view it is simple as you know it is normal process so first thing i look for is the team do they have a best team or people in that team you know so they are the technology person marketing person as well as the hiring the right people and all that so that is the you know first part the second one is again the the market i go after is like a unique and uh, it has a very high return the some other thing is you know you may have heard about uh, you know 3d printing the rocket ship to mars mm-hmm. or you know a gas station in the for the satellites in the space and 3d printing uh, uh, homes uh, by you know removing the labor 
uh, shortages and all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then in, in healthcare, there are areas which I invested, I have, you know, pancreas, you know, recreating the pancreas or managing uh, pain management through uh, brain waves. So there are various aspects of it. These are all very deep technology-based, uh, you know, uh, investment. So that's where I go. So mm. for my investment, my the, the underlying is good people, very underlying deep technology, and then let you know support these founders to get there uh, by you know giving our advice uh, and follow through. Okay, I like that because deep tech is itself become its own category now. Uh, these are generally companies. Um, you know, I think previously they used to be seen as moonshots, but now seen as like taking a higher risk towards creating like a deeper technology that can solve some really um, minute or very niche, or either very niche or very uh, very um, large problem set. Um, can you give us an example of a few deep technologies that uh, stand out? I know you listed a few there, but is there a few companies that stand out or a few problems you've seen solved? Um. So there, there are a few of them actually. Mm-hmm. I can. Uh, so one of them, which I talk about, three D printing is uh, that company called Relativity Space. Okay. Uh, so they are trying to do the interesting thing, which really attracted me on that is they are doing this three D printing technology to go to Mars and all that. If you go back about 30, 40 years, all this communication, cell phone, and all this technology was invented by defense. Uh, satellite defense and uh, uh, the communication between military and all that by the government investment. So those investments made uh, a lot of technology innovation that bring brought you know wireless communication and there are so many other technologies came from that uh, you know a lot of materials and all that. The same fashion, this particular company, Relativity Space, is doing this. 3D printing, very high, uh, you know, impact product, uh, the, the satellite to go to Mars. That's what their goal. And they can take a couple of these 3D printing machine to the Mars. And if there's a part, they run out of part or they want to reprint something, they can do it there. But what their underlying technology can be applied to any of the manufacturing in, in, in our world, which, you know, Earth. Uh, so if you want to do some... Uh, uh, you know, some kind of uh, high-end manufacturing. Currently, we go to China or different different countries and all that by developing this automation and 3D printing technology. So this foundational technology can not just for the space, it can be used in the normal uh, places. So that that is one you know, interesting part. And the other side of it, uh, you know, uh, one area a company called Mythical Games, which invested with NFT and uh, different things. So where the games becoming, you know, people are trying to uh, take the gaming and currently it is, you know, produced by, you know, Sony or uh, Nintendo or Microsoft. So these guys are trying to, uh, you know, they build a platform and they open up the characters and, uh, you know, the gaming controls and all that to normal people so by you know putting them together so you will be able to bring it you know uh, bring uh, democratization of these uh, tools so anybody from india or sri lanka or china who can come up with a new character and puts you know few things together it become a game 
So this is one of the interesting area. In the future, it will become democratization, and this will go into edtech. I mean, I am I am invested in Knowledge Hook, one of the company from Sri Lanka, and founder Travis. And what I liked about it is he he, pla- he built a platform. So I again now come to think of it, I love platform plays more than uh, one 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 odd thing. So when they build this educational platform for math. And it can be applied to different languages, different region, and how it can be scaled up and down. And then you, in, in, in the platform, you add the gamification and you know NFT and all those things. So the market is, you know, it doesn't. It's so much. Yeah. Um, so you know, speaking of the, those new end technologies, Web 3.0, um, blockchain, crypto, all these, all yeah. these new components, metaverse, right? Like. It seems like the internet has spun into a new mode of evolution, right? Like Web 3.0 mm-hmm. building on top of what that looks like. Um, you know, from your perspective, um, both as a builder and also an investor, what does that mean for startups and 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 and, uh, co- and tech companies in general? Um, how has things evolved? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is going through a big, uh, you know, innovation cycle mm-hmm. on uh, in, in the Web 3.0. I'm I'm very bullish on that. In that sense, you know, when we started the Web 1.0, where the you know it's a one-to-many communication and all that, and then Web 2.0, where the data centers and all that operated, where you can do multiple to multi, you know, uh, people coming in because the, the earlier one was a single transaction coming in, going and pulling a Yahoo News or a different thing. The second one is all these price lines and pricing, you know, people compete against each other. So thousands of people coming in and trying to find this one. The next one is going to be thousands of people coexist in a in an environment where they, you know, they can choose their region. They, you know, you don't have to physically travel, but you can be there. The metaverse is one of them, as well as there are so many different, different innovations happening where it's become decentralized. And, and and as you said about NFTs and blockchain and all that, so these are a lot of new technologies. But the underlying idea is what it is is, you know, just like the Earth has this many countries, this many part of it, it is going to be in this virtual world. There are going to be regions. There are going to be uh, you know uh, people with you know common interests. They are going to build their communities, and they don't have to physically go there. They can enjoy the people, and again, it can be used badly also to polarize the uh, population. But on the other hand, I am always hoping it will be in a positive spin, where like you know, my wife is an introvert; she likes to do things in her way and with her different community. Versus, I like to be you know extrovert. I try to go and talk to people. So you can be sitting in the same house and make this one uh, for a couple of hours. And live in that world, and where you meet people, you have, you know, I mean, people talk about going for a beer, going for a coffee. I mean, it's not the coffee or beer makes sense; it's a company, mm. you know. When when you look at it, the same way. But if you can make that one with, you know, uh, less uh, impact to the environment, it's great. And that is another part is going to come, and the climate change and all those uh, aspect of it. Having this, you know. Uh, decentralized uh, part and we can control but we control the overall framework we, we will be able to manage this better mm. I, I think that that was the most well uh, set out 
not even an explanation, like a good roadmap for what this looks like. Um, you know, and uh, I think that leads to what that looks like as a as the environment shifts, right? How are people? How can people better prepare? Because it seems like you're well read about this and prepared. Because you know you're living in the moment. How can people better prepare um, to figure out? You know, what does Web 3.0 technologies look like? What does state of innovation look like? What are the best pro- problems to solve? Like where where do you go to learn? Um, you know, it, okay, yeah, I mean, that's that's a interesting point. I mean, the one good thing about it is with all this Web 2.0 has opened up so much, uh, you know, you say YouTube, Udemy, Khan Academy, all these various aspects of it. Uh, the way I start my, I have a process. So what I hear, when I hear some of these words, like metaverse, mm. I didn't know much about it six months ago. Uh, and uh, so then I took the note and I went first to a simple internet search and find, you know, what, where things are going and, uh, you know, what, what did it mean from a definition point of view. And then you connect that back to the foundation because people try to look at these keywords and then you started talking about it and go, you know, uh, and then get stuck. They didn't know where this will go. So I go reverse, actually. I understand this technology and then go back and say, what kind of infrastructure is needed? What kind of software we needed? What kind of people we need to build this one? So you understand that, you know, from their point of view, you know, at, at, at the foundational point of view. And then when more and more, uh, you know, publication, more like metaverse, meta announced themselves to be a metaverse mm. person, or, or you know, uh, I think Omniverse from uh, NVIDIA, Microsoft is trying to do some of this. So I did, like, it took for me, after the, understanding the foundational thing, about a day or two for me to go and find out who are those big players mm. and who are mm. the startup players, you know? And then you see, okay, where they are going to fit in each one of them. Some of this in for the you know, crypto, cryptocurrency or the money transaction. Some of them are going to be for uh, privacy. Some of them are going to be for uh, cybersecurity. Some of them are going to be for game gamification or mm. fun. Some of them are going to go, or actually the other side of it is enterprise market, where the business people can come and do, you know, um, you know, do conferences uh, kind of in person, but not in person, you know. So the, you break into this. So as I said, foundation, then understand, then you look at the current way of us doing in the work, and how do we map that one to the new paradigm? And once you do that, it makes it easy. It makes it not too complicated, you know. I really like how you said that um, because uh, that points to like a, one topic that I want I want to I want to jump to um, you know uh, while we have you here is the state of education um, you know you talked about how we can learn uh, differently and better and keep in tuned and you and you talked about Khan Academy and all these different things resources coming available for people to to learn uh, I, I want to see from your perspective because you're someone whose education was disrupted. Um, I think your high school, during your high school time, the Civil War got to a point where you could not complete it. And yet you were able to transition into one of the most, um, you know, education related fields, heavy technology fields. Right. Um, uh, Was that right? Like you became an engineer? Yeah, I'm an engineer. You're an engineer, right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Like tying in how your, uh, you know, education was disrupted, how you were able to uh, get to where you were and then how... In the modern times now, people can utilize other resources to catch up 
if they themselves are facing a similar uh, similar issue. Yeah. So again, I think I I, I grew up in Sri Lanka in eighties. Yeah. As I went to high school first year, because the high school there is from sixth grade to twelfth grade. Mm. I went first year. The second year, which is nineteen eighty three, uh, the high school got burned down. Our library got burned down, and the the, the whole building got occupied by the uh, military as a military camp uh, in that region. So we were kind of chasing away. So next two years, we didn't have a school to go. But our our parents and ancestors uh, thought about education to be so uh, important. So we had these small, small tuition centers, you know. Uh, it would have been like, if you look at the new way, you know, the Zoom-based, mm. uh, you know, meetups or some of those. So we have in our local community, we have uh, tuition, we will go, and you know we'll go in the morning, we'll go in the evening, and for a couple of hours to make sure that we keep up with the syllabus and, uh, and education part of it. So that was important because you had to be having that desire that in this education will and it you know it it will help you escape these kind of situation. So we believed in that. Mm. So once you believe in that one, and you study, and the second part of it is competition because of the, you know, if you look at the capital, capitalism world and all that why you know how we are competing against each other while we are collaborating the all my education system even though we were doing that we had this month uh, quarterly exams and we had to pass and we were very competitive against each other in that community so that way each each other's push each other up you know coming uh, coming gotcha. to the next level and so that those are the important part of it. And if you if you map that back to COVID as well as the early later part of what is happening here, it is very important. And I tell my kids, you know, when as they go through, uh, you you need to make sure uh, you do some of the foundational things. Mm. For example, math. Some people are smart, but smart doesn't you know. But in in our education system, you had to still get good grades to get there. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, my son is great, uh, you know, get me to, you know, university. So, but you had to prove yourself. So you had to still follow the, you know, thing. So what do you do? You have, you can, you have access to a lot of these uh, uh, teaching and all that. But on top of that, that is not enough. That is basically you are listening through somebody telling you. So one of the foundational thing which I learned is practice, doing it enough, not like too much. You know, some people go overboard. And some people don't do anything. I think get like at least, you know, 10 or 20 questions in the same area and you go through that detail. And that, I know that works out well for my kids. They're doing quite well because of that foundational part of it, which we got there. So, yes, you have access to a lot more material, a lot more knowledge, but you need to be intentional of what you are trying to do. Don't waste time. You know, if you are so good and and you keep doing thousands of you know uh, questions versus you know doing something else you are not good at. So by using these all these platform, find the balance where you learned enough and you applied by repeating that one and then move forward. Mm. Yeah. So the move forward part uh, component, right? Like especially with. Um... Um, the state of, again, the metaverse coming up, the capability for us to learn, work, and even join companies uh, and, and, and form cultures online becomes more to be. Um, you know, 
and and and, and like what seems as work changes, the aspirations of the youth have changed. Like most young adults nowadays don't want to grow up to become uh, astronauts, engineers, scientists. Uh, they want to become YouTube stars. They want to become creators. Uh, you know, they want to become, uh, they, they want to go into the content or gaming industries. Um, and, and in comparison, the East, uh, the Eastern countries that seem to be churning out doctors, lawyers, engineers, um, and, and these things. And the comparative balance, I have an opinion on this. Like I actually think it's it's great because Whenever uh, new ideas come up, it's actually the adoption that's important. And as and and in the Western side, as we focus on creators, we're actually getting a, a generation that's good at communicating ideas across new mediums. Um, but I think uh, I'd love to hear your opinion. What do you what do you think about this like uh, cultural shift we're seeing now, especially in, in the Western nations, about people wanting to become more uh, content uh, content creators and uh, focused around there? I, I have a little bit of contrarian view on that. The Western nations were created and you know has been on that small you know small medium-sized businesses having like you know for example us if you look at the federal system then you go to state state has you know the you know localities and those kind of you know small small part of it and that's and then all the business were privately owned except for the some of the government part and that, you know that was and and there, there has been a shift in, uh, you know, top-down uh, influences of, you know, the, the governmental change. And in, in U.S., both parties give out money to different people and do that rather than people working from bottom up getting to, you know, uh, do those things. Mm. So my, my contrarian view there is still always been in the Western countries, it has been that people were creative mm. you know it was for entertainment because they had the safety net of uh you know the, no, no war no poverty so they were doing this hollywood and various art and various creativity all that part was there and and giving people even migrate from outside to this area they get that uh you know safety net and they are able to go and creative and innovate and go go to you know, different uh, things. So what I'm trying to say there is, if you look at those people who are being innovators, uh, it is not new. Mm. But you are mm. right; the scale may be a lot higher lately. You know, because a lot of people are feeling this nine to five job is not for me. It is you know corporate uh, people are bad. You know those kind of mentality. So my, you know, if you go back, I heard in the 60s and 1970s, the baby boomers at that time, they were hippies and they were fighting the system. And this is another iteration of that, in my opinion, these people are fighting the system. And therefore, the good reason, the climate change, the environmental thing, and, uh, you know, uh, as well as mental health, uh, those are the areas are critical for these people, Okay. But I tell people is that these same people who are fighting for this 10 or 20 years down the road, uh, you know, just like the baby boomers screwed up the financial system, these guys are going to be doing this something, you know, so bad because they become selfish at yeah, that yeah. point. Yeah. So it is, it is, I mean, I, I don't, wouldn't say it's a full change. 
it is like you know go back and forth to this uh, you know system. I love it. Um, Ray Dalio talks about this too. The cycles that humans uh, humans go through, right? Um, and you know, there's this idea of the hundred year cycle that we generationally go through. And I, I think you're right. You know, as we go through these boom and bust cycles, uh, we see these periods of high growth and, and rewards from there, and those periods of downturn. And uh, I think we're in between right now. So, Ruben, um, I, I, you know, I love engaging with your content. Uh, I can't wait for your podcast to be coming out. But till then, um, where can people find you? Where, where's the best place to learn more about your writings? Yeah. So again, I have. I normally I'm in Medium and Substack. So there is, if you go and look for the Accidental Entrepreneur by Ruben, you will be able to find that. Then you can connect me in LinkedIn. So LinkedIn also, I have you know my own uh, page as well as I have a uh, page for connecting with uh, uh, you know my you know my articles as well as I have a YouTube channel going. Yeah. So these are all named The Accidental Entrepreneur by Ruben. So that way you have the continuity and the branding part of it. All these are done intentionally. Yeah. And then I have you know written about 80 some lang- uh, articles and I have done 30, 31 videos, uh, YouTube videos. Uh, and so please, you know, you can go there whenever you read that at the end, it'll say subscribe. You subscribe to it every Wednesday morning, you'll get a new article uh, and a video uh, from me and uh, uh, giving you that background. So I'm just trying to make sure, you know, these uh, messages are very positive oriented. I want to also tell people, it's easy to go and say what can't be done, why not, why shouldn't you do that and all that, versus I give you example of how to navigate the nuances of these uh, the business side of it. And I, I was, you know, coming from a you know poor country in Sri Lanka and through the war and able to make it. If I can do it, you can do it. That that's my message. And so I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be discouraging. But I will be honest and practical. I love that. Thank you, Ruben, so much for coming on the show.